0: Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Joining you for something of a special edition podcast tonight is, of course, the legendary Mark Daly. You've also got, of course, myself, Mark Hamilton. And this is going to be a, a bit of a unique twist, a, a bit of a spin, something we haven't done before. But we're here to react to the Netflix premiere of drive to survive season 3 which dropped on Friday um, if you don't know about it you have probably been in a cave or somewhere far <laughs> away from electricity for the last couple of days because this has absolutely consumed the Formula One ecosystem yeah uh, to me like at a, at a kind of at a very high level um, and I'm gonna pass it over to you quickly because I'm, I'm dying to hear your thoughts because we haven't talked about this. We haven't shared thoughts. We haven't WhatsApp. Like, I have no idea what your thoughts are, but high level to me, this was the best of the three seasons that we've seen so far. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. What about you?
1: Yeah, well, I sat down on Friday night after, after dinner, after the kids were in bed, and I sat down and I binged the first eight episodes. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> it took me another two days to finish off the last two, but uh, it, riveting, compelling. I mean, they do an amazing job. I, I think they could make a trip to Costco to do groceries look <laughs> exciting. I mean, they are do an absolutely fantastic job. And yeah, I, 100% with what you have to say, I, I think out of the, the, the three seasons they've done to date, this is uh, by far and away the best one yet. Absolutely uh, top marks to them.
0: And I think one of the things that made this one a little bit more Compelling, or it was easier to get into. It is unlike season one or season two, where they really had to set up and kind of lay the groundwork for what Formula One is and who the teams are and how Mm -hmm. the sport works. This one, they jumped right in. They jumped right into Barcelona and winter testing, and it was away. So it was really easy to get traction very, very, very quickly. I think one of the things early on that I really enjoyed as well is, and it was a bit of a setup. There's that scene where Zach Brown's walking around the McLaren headquarters, and he just happens to get a phone call from Chase Carey, and he's like. Like, oh, so we're going to have a season and we're going to be in the Middle East. Uh Uh-huh. Sounds good. And then you're off to the first race. Like, I thought that was a little bit cheesy, but I I was glad that they didn't spend too much time kind of Kind of zeroed in on the kind of the two or three month break between where the season was suspended in Australia, and where they picked yeah. it up. You know, we went to Australia. We kind of recapped what happened there, and then it was straight to Austria. And I was very, very happy. They didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on that. We've lived through it. I don't think we needed to revisit that in too much detail. But <laughs> I loved how quickly they got on with the season.
1: Yeah, you know, any time spent not dwelling on what happened, uh, you know, a year ago, and any sort of the the ongoing, you know, day to day life in a pandemic, you know, I'm absolutely fine with that. i mean I mean i think that uh, you know zach even says at one point it's like we're back to business after 10 weeks uh, you know sitting around doing nothing it was uh, i kind of like the way that they, they they handled it i mean obviously it's it's pretty heavy pandemic related we have like the recap in australia and everything getting shut down prior to all that and you got the social distancing the masks and the lack of fans you know except for some races that uh, you know like uh, the the nurberg ring for example you know where, where there are fans in the stands for those ones but yeah very well done you know uh, it, it was uh, it it was, it was kind of cheesy, but I mean, it, it fits their narrative in the way that uh, that they want to set these things up. But, you know, I, I think that... Um what I really liked about this one is like, like you're saying the first two seasons was almost kind of like setting the stage. I mean, now it really seemed to really be focusing more on the personalities and more of the stories that we, 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 we saw in 2020. And I think that they, they did a great job really uh, highlighting some of the amazing people and the amazing personalities in, uh, in, in formula one. And after, you know, sitting down and watching this and you know, my, my big takeaway is now is if Lance comes out and sucks the next two years. I have no doubt his dad will fire him. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Any questions? My, my takeaway on Lawrence Stroll. I mean, he's obviously an uber successful businessman. Intimidating, hardcore, hard nosed, uh, arrogance. A little bit aloof. I think he has an extreme eye for detail, and he expects the best. He is absolutely not there to just make up the numbers. I mean, he's there to win.
0: Absolutely. Everything that we saw of Lawrence Stroll in this program reinforced everything that you and I kind of kind of assumed, right? Like, yeah. hey, you know what? He's probably not going to sit on Lance if he's underperforming. Like, he's built all of this to win a championship, yep. and if Lance isn't going to do that, he's gone. And you're totally right. Like, just that that one of the initial scenes where he's at the factory in Silverstone and he's in that boardroom and they're doing the presentations. Like, I had chills and <laughs> I was sweating as if I was the next person that had to present financial results to him. But and and I think it was I think it was Jenny Gao. And by the way. Kudos to Netflix for bringing Jenny Gow on. It Mm -hmm. was really great to have um, some more female presence in the program, just commentating and sharing their thoughts on the season. So that was great. But she made that comment early on about how much presence he had Holy oh, yeah. moly! You can <laughs> feel when he it. walks yeah. in a room.
1: Oh, absolutely! Oh, that, that was a really, really uh, you know astute comment that she made, and she's excellent. I love the work that she does. But you know, yeah, it was it was just amazing stuff. Uh, just uh, just watching him, he he was one of the obvious uh, personalities that uh, kind of jumped out. I mean, Zach Brown. I mean, he was right there from the beginning. He features uh, throughout. I mean, there's there's a lot of the McLaren people in there, just uh, quite a bit. You know, and and oh, just going back to uh, to to racing point though, I, I just the 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 contrast between stroll senior and stroll junior i mean lance is a very relatable guy i mean he seems like i mean apart from his job of course i mean he seems like a pretty normal 20 something year old kid right and uh, you know i mean he he seems like a little bit kind of goofy i mean he seems you know like i mean he's focused on uh, you know his job as a racing driver but you know i had the feeling is that uh I think Lawrence Stroll was probably always that way. I, I bet you that yeah. growing up, he was probably the serious one, the focused one. And I mean, that, that's where he's gotten to where he is in life and he, what he's achieved, right? And, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of funny at uh, one point, uh, you know, what I think the first interview that they have with Lance in that first episode is like, uh, well, what's the relationship that like you have with my your, your father? <laughs> well, let's just say we, we go way back. You know, yeah. it's kind of funny. I was just like, I don't think his dad would kind of like framed it the same way, but very, very interesting, you know, very, very cool stuff.
0: I thought it was really funny. And I, I I recall that exact comment. I thought it was interesting as well. And, and they kind of kind of and I don't want to spend too much time on Racing Point because there's so much to unpack, but I like the fact that they drew that contrast between Lawrence and Lance. And there's even that scene, and I think it was at one of the Silverstone race weekends where you see Lance walking and it's hot and he's curses and he's like, I wish I was surfing, or I wish we were surfing. But you know, like he, he's got interests beyond the sport, and obviously mm. his dad is a laser-focused businessman. I think the one other comment I would just have on Racing Point was I thought Otmar's comment. Um, And it was funny because they they talk about how there was almost this alliance that came against um, Racing Point for the <laughs> yeah. whole brake duck fiasco. But uh, there was a point where Otmar makes that comment about Zach Brown never having designed a single point part of a racing car, and what does he know? I thought that I thought that was that was the kind of the juicy nuggets that I was looking for in this program. Uh, but I thought everything about Racing Point was really thrilling. I, I think the other big takeaway for me was they spent an awful lot of time talking about Haas, yes. and I think the takeaway that I had there was one, everything that kind of happened in the offseason in terms of their new deep ties with the Russian petrochemical company and the the position of Mazepan in that racing seat and the fact that he wasn't outwardly disciplined, it became abundantly clear throughout this program that that team is operating on an absolute shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were even certain themselves if they'd finish out the season. You saw Gunther Steiner's out shopping for sponsorships during the season to bring during money in board. Exactly. It, absolutely. Exactly. And then I and I would cringe as well. Like you would see Gunther after a race and you know, that phone call from Gene Haas is coming. <laughs> and it was just so awkward watching those conversations. And he's almost like, I get it. I get it. We're doing better. I get it. And then Gene was like, and like, I remember there was that one scene where I think it was Magnuson went off and he, he crumpled the front of the back of the car and Gene's like, and he's, and he's having to explain to Gene Haas, the owner of the Haas team, like, Hey, yes, there's damage to the front and rear suspension because there's financial implications implications to the damage like it was yeah, I, I thought it was very telling and the way that the off-season played out for Haas in terms of bringing on the pay driver and that Russian sponsorship money it all makes total sense to me now.
1: Yeah, I also thought it was really interesting too how they sort of uh, really brought in that Mick Schumacher weekend at the Nürburgring and the the Alfa Romeo garage. Yeah. I thought that was very very fascinating. And I mean they they'd featured pretty heavily in the first couple of seasons as well. I mean Gunther really stood out as one of the, you know, the the big personalities, you know, flamboyant uh, personalities in the first couple of years, right? So, I mean, it just kind of uh, made sense, but it, it really kind of uh, framed it, I think, in, in a very interesting context. Just, uh, you know, the, their struggles almost right from the very beginning. And like you said, I mean, how tight the purse strings uh, really were. I mean, it was really something to see him, like you say, in, in the middle of a season and in the middle of a pandemic, going out and, and trying to get new new sponsors on board. And I thought it was very interesting too, in that one uh, meeting that he had, that they were saying, well, you know, German sponsors, you know, we, we want to have a German driver in the car. So, I mean, you you can just kind of see i mean there were a lot of uh, reasons obviously why you'd want to get a guy like mick schumacher into your car i mean young and unproven as he is but i mean it, it just ticks so many boxes on on so many different levels for so many different people to get a guy like him I- into the car anyways mark uh, let's just take a, a quick break here on the overtime media network we'll be back uh, we're breaking down season three of netflix's hit series drive to survive don't go away we'll be back in just a moment all right well welcome back to the show mark and mark Daly and hamilton breaking down the netflix uber series drive to survive season three mark you know we've, we've talked about uh well we talked about racing point and the the, the strolls and the, the first segment and some of uh the, you know, the 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 struggles and the things that we saw with Hass. what else that really stood out for you for me I, I think it's one thing that we see or we don't maybe talk enough about uh, in in formula one is just how manicured and how crafted the, the whole presentation is. I find it very similar to like the NFL, just the way that everything's managed. And we don't see a lot of the human side of it. You know, you don't see the shots of like the like the, the mechanics or the team personnel in the garage, you know, like watching them like every pass, every fouled up pit stop, just the emotion and the passion. And a, a lot of like the, you know, the, the real emotion for good or for worse, you know, like depending on what happens at the end of the race on the Sunday. And I mean, I, I, mean, I really felt that some of these, uh, these uh, moments were really, Really, really portrayed well. I mean, the um, the one of the moments I think uh, that that I really wanted to know more about was episode nine, "Man on Fire." Obviously, the 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 whole Grosjean crash at Bahrain. I mean, I had some serious emotion. I had a big, you know, lump in my throat. Uh, going, you know, like wh- when you see that. And I mean, of course, they dragged it out for a long, long time just to emphasize the point. But you can, you can see what's going on. Will Buxton. I mean, I think he, you know, he 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 nailed it. Like he was very succinct in what he said. There's very few times in Formula One when the paddock goes completely silent. Yeah, I
0: completely agree. And you know, I actually have a note here
1: about that as well. They they, they certainly. They
0: certainly drew out the suspense of that scene. I, mm. I think there was a couple of other takeaways there. One, there was a lot of footage that hasn't been shown before. Yes. Um, so there was some yeah. footage that none of us have seen before that was reserved or captured specifically for this moment. The, the one thought that I had watching that is there's a lot of folks that were probably watching this show over the weekend that weren't aware that that happened that didn't know it, like for you and me, like we know what the outcome was. So even for us, it was still very suspenseful and there was a lot of tension, but for people that maybe didn't know, like maybe they dragged it out a little bit too long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was interesting, but I, I absolutely agree. And I I do love, and you're right, like the broadcast package that we see every Sunday is highly sanitized. Yep. We don't, we don't see the emotion in the pit. We don't see the emotion in the garage. We don't see the emotion at the, the control booth. And I love the fact that, and I think there was the scene again, I think it was probably the, the Magnuson crash where you can see how angry the, 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 the mechanics are in that pit. They're swearing, cursing. They're angry at the driver. They're angry at their own performance. Like it's very unsanitized. And yeah. I, I really I love enjoyed it. that. I love it. Yeah. And the other thing too, and this was a big takeaway for me too, is how how attached the handlers are to the drivers <laughs> and correcting everything that they say. There was that scene where one of a. Uh, I think one of the publicists was correcting Vettel because he'd made a kind of, he make this offhanded joke about how bad their performance was. And the handle's like, no, you can't joke. We don't get to joke based on our performance. And he basically like, our performance is a joke, so why not? But <laughs> I thought it was interesting how, how closely the drivers are followed by their handlers around the pits. And every time they do an interview, they're sitting three feet away from
1: them. And with the microphone, yeah, I that was... with the like, with their iPhone or whatever, just recording the conversation, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For you, what were some of the big misses? Like what were some of the
0: things that you were expecting to see that they didn't capture? Knowing that in 10 episodes, they were never going to be able to capture the entire season. But if there was a couple of big absences, what do you think those were?
1: Well, I think it's kind of interesting too. I think it just goes to demonstrate, uh, you know, trying to film a, a series like this during the pandemic, because I mean, there was there were some tracks that were featured quite a bit. Austria was uh, what was one. The Middle East uh, races were another, but I mean, we didn't see really anything from some of the European uh, races, except for stock footage from like Imola, from Portimao, yeah. Mugello. There was absolutely nothing from, from uh, Mugello at all. You know, Silverstone, you know, that, that made uh, sense. I mean, we had a couple of races there. So th- those were things I thought were, Kind of interesting, but I guess, you know, maybe what with travel restrictions and quarantine, that maybe they really had to pick and Good choose point. the dates that uh, and the events that they were going to film at. And I think the one team that was very conspicuous in their absence was Williams. I mean, there was only just a couple of shots here and there. I mean, uh, you know, so, especially I think it was with the uh, you know the whole pink Mercedes uh, fiasco. I mean, there was I, I think there was a couple of like uh, just the little clips featuring Claire Williams here and there and then also when they when they kind of uh, disappeared after their last race at Monza, you know, I think that was uh, you know that that was another, but I think those were some of the the, the really sort of the ones that really uh, jump out, I think they captured a lot of the, you know, the the lot of the stories that we saw during the year. You know, I, I think that uh, it was interesting that they focused uh, like on the like the the the, the McLaren dynamic between uh, you know uh, Science and Norris. I mean, Ricardo, of course, we know what a great personality he is. I thought it was interesting to to frame his story in there as well, and especially, you know, the I think it was really interesting too to get like a lot of those sort of really personal interviews with the surreal Abitabool and just how torn up he. He was like totally personally. That I mean, yeah. you know, he says that you know that uh, you know it really hit him personally, like Daniel's uh, decision to move on to go to McLaren, and how deeply that uh, that that affected him. You know, I, I think it was also really cool to see, um, you know, like a lot of the behind scenes stuff with uh, with Carlos Sainz and his family, especially. You know, I think it was kind of cool to see the old man who was also a very successful ra- uh, rally driver in his time. And, uh, you know, Carlos Sainz, you know, he's, he's quiet, he's reserved, you know, he, he's, um, you know, he just goes about his, uh, his business, but he's kind of got, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like a renewed kind of, um, you know sense not an obligation but just sort of that he I find he's a real underdog and I I, I sort of really get a real sort of sense of the you know the uh, the ginormous you know the enormity of the the situation that he is in uh, Ferrari I think those are some of the, the 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 more interesting ones I mean there's tons of great uh, things to, to you know to, to talk about I mean there was the one whole uh, episode we need to talk about Ferrari which you know we've we've talked about for months and months and months on this show but I I think uh, they did a really good job you know kind of like highlighting some of like the woes that that they had and just like how disastrous that uh, that weekend at Monza was last week or last year pardon me
0: absolutely one of the senses i got as well and and you're right the the carlos signs footage was great but if you flash back to season 1 there was a there was a ton of very personal footage with him with his family and and i think some of the sense i get is that some of the drivers are just more open to this type of exposure and and it's interesting because there's a ton of red bull conversation oh yeah a ton of focus on elbon there's a ton of focus on christian horner there's that fierce kind of storyline about the move with Gasly. you got to see how really embittered ghastly was even a year removed from his devotion. I thought that was really interesting, but there's no Max, no Max Verstappen at all. And you would think he'd be a really compelling kind of person to inject into the storyline but from everything i read because i actually went looking this was a conscious decision that he and his family made that they don't want to be a part of this that they've been very critical of it and as a result he was effectively excised from it but you're right the, the williams absence was was notable the the almost complete absence of the george russell story in yep. that second weekend at yep. bath rain i thought was was a little bit interesting i would love to have seen a little bit more in turkey but i think to your point for cost reason maybe they just didn't have the crew there that weekend We you know we saw a little snippet of stock footage of of lance um taking qualifying but but that was about it i think those were some of the big kind of misses for me but i think they did so much right and again they had eight hours 10 episodes to put this together and so much happened last year in that compressed seventeen race calendar that they they weren't going to make everybody happy but i left very 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 satisfied and i left and i loved it to your point as well the serial discussion and kind of how frustrated or angry he was about the Daniel Ricardo situation I, th- I thought was great and I just I love how candid and, and honest and authentic everyone was when they were being interviewed and even Daniel when they asked him like hey look you know what what drove this decision he's like look I just had to look my, my career short and at the end of the day I just think McLaren's in a better position than Renault is and mm-hmm. Cyril at the same time was like I was expecting that we would have the opportunity to show him what we're capable of like all of this was really good stuff. And you yep. don't get this yep. through you don't get this through the clickbait you don't get these through those comments in the pit on a race weekend like this is really good stuff
1: oh yeah it, it's raw it's it's pure it's emotional a lot of it and it just it it feels very real you know it it, it is completely you know, it, it, it's it's the real deal. And I think that's what really resonates with, with people. I mean, when you see some of these stories like Gasly winning at Monza, Sergio Perez yeah. winning at Bahrain without even knowing whether or not he's got a drive in Formula One for this year. I mean, those are some great stories. And, you know, you just can't help, you know, wanting to root for these guys. And, you know, I, I do find it interesting that uh, that uh, Verstappen didn't want to be inv- involved with it at all, at all. Because, I mean, you know, when you see... And, and I mean, I guess, you know... It's, it's It's got its negatives, but on the other side, it's got the positives because it gives some of these other personalities a, a chance to shine. I mean, another one I want to talk to you about is the whole episode that I think was uh, you know devoted to uh, Valtteri Bottas, one of, one of the early episodes in the season. And I think we'll, we'll do that when we just uh, take another break here in a moment and we'll come back and talk about that. But uh, I found that to be quite revealing and uh, I think I think it showed a side of uh, Valtteri Bottas that maybe none of us uh, really were expecting it. We'll talk about that in a moment here on the Overtime Media Network on the podcast it is always up to speed with Formula One. So stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We're just uh, wrapping up our uh, our verdict, our ranking, uh, if you want to call it that, of season three of Drive to Survive on Netflix. So we spent all weekend doing this. And I know most of you probably did the same thing, uh, you know, and and especially with, uh, you know, the fact that uh, life is still obviously not not back to normal. This is the ideal way to spend the, uh, you know, spend a weekend, especially one week out from the start of the 2021 Formula One World Championship. And it was, it was uh, really, really, uh, you know, time well spent let's put it that way. But I wanted to talk now uh, about uh, Valtteri Bottas. Uh, he, he was featured heavily in episode three called Nobody's uh, Fool. And the description says here, determined to emerge from Lewis Hamilton's shadow, Mercedes driv- driver Valtteri Bottas seizes his chance at the Russian Grand Prix. And, you know, it, it was quite interesting because, uh, you know, there, there, there was some of these uh, more raw moments, you know, the interviewers uh, asking Toto about, uh, you know, uh, Valtteri being uh, his number two driver. And, you know, this, this being a, sort of rated E for everyone. Let's just say that Toto answered that question with a, like like enough uh, F-bombs to try and like uh, drown it out. And he says, I'm just going to say this so, you know, nobody can hear your question. And I think the response from the interviewer was, well, I think some of them heard part of it anyways. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was funny. And I think this uh, the, the other thing is too, I mean, like like Toto, I mean, he's uh, obviously a very, very successful team principal. I mean, he does a great job at Mercedes. And I think it, it, this series, again, it, it shows the more real side. I mean, that that's, uh, the response that he had to that that question shows a kind of like a cheeky, you know, like a side of uh, of uh, of Toto. Maybe kind of a downplaying, or or, or maybe uh, you know responding to a question that gets under his skin a little bit. Uh, but you know, again, shows a very human side to him, which you know, of course, normally we we, we don't see. But again, that uh, that episode on Bottas I thought was uh, was very interesting. And you know, I mean, he says all the right things, and that you know how he's determined to win, and how he's he's uh, going to uh, to beat Lewis Hamilton we've talked about it quite a bit obviously on the show and I mean just uh, you know how difficult a task that is but I thought it was very interesting you know that question that was left after the Russian Grand Prix was did he intentionally finish third in qualifying because he knowing that third is the you know you either want to start on pole or in third just because you get that toe going down that very long bendy you know straight away into that first uh, real corner that uh, that that 90 degree right hander and I think that uh, it was very interesting the way that uh, that that Bottas, you know, he's not really a very you know flamboyant outgoing uh, personality. I guess you know he's very very Finnish in that regard. But uh, you know, I think it was very interesting. He's got a bit of a smirk on his face. It was uh, Did I do that on purpose or not? Uh, just to kind of screw up Lewis? He says, kind of. Well, maybe that's just something for me to know. I thought that was a really really cool moment.
0: I would like, honestly, and you and I've talked about this so much, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on Bottas, but I, I would like to see more of that from him. Like I'd like to yeah. see that V3 Bottas that's willing to, to take those, <clears throat> those chances. I also thought it was pretty raw when you saw the footage about, uh, about Bottas being asked to do some things on the track that obviously weren't necessarily in, in his favor. I just want to add just as well, you make that comment about, uh, Toto's response to that question from the, the reporter and the barrage of F-bombs <laughs> yeah, that followed, yeah. uh, I thought it was interesting how frequently that word is used throughout the sport all the time by everyone all the time and it made me feel a little bit better because I I tend to use to overuse that word off the air <laughs> as well and I feel that now more than ever that I would probably fit in you know the the one other piece and I know we've got to kind of wrap this up but I think the one thing that I thought was and I don't know how I feel about this, but I thought it was notable not- notable uh, that there was a complete absence of acknowledgement of the We Races 1 initiative mm-hmm. that kicked off in Austria. It kind of petered out mid-season. They didn't address it. They didn't talk about it. And then right at the end, at the very tail end of episode 10, they've got Lewis, and he he's asked some questions, and he gets to speak a little bit about what it's like being the only black— driver in the sports and the burden that he carries as a result. But I almost thought that was a a bit of a disservice, both to Lewis and to the topic as a whole, that there wasn't more of a a central focus on it. Because if you remember back to Australia or Austria, at the beginning of last season, there was drivers that obviously didn't want to participate or weren't as enthused. And, you know, I remember those comments from Charles Leclerc and some of the other drivers that, Hey, you know, if we take too strong a stand, we risk offending other people. And I, th- I think there could have been more that would have been unpacked there. and It was almost worse that they kind of did it a disservice and jammed it into the last couple of minutes of episode 10 as opposed to not even addressing it. But I, I thought that that I think I felt like Netflix owed the sports and owed that topic a, a little bit more. Time, I I don't know how to kind of phrase that, but I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't address it a little bit more openly.
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of got the impression that it's either you know we don't know how to deal with this or we're not, or it's too uncomfortable, and you know we we don't know how to deal deal with this either. You know, so it it kind of left it. You know, it, it was kind of like one of these uh, sort of obvious things that really uh, needed to, to to be addressed. So, yeah, I, I mean, the way that they dealt with it, uh, it kind of had kind of like a tacked on, almost like obligated uh, kind of exactly. feel. I mean, because the way that it, uh, it, it's like the whole pandemic thing, you see the masks, you see the social distancing, you see all that sort of stuff. But then every once in a while, you see a guy walking around the end racism T-shirt or the we race is one hashtag on the side pod of a car right. or on a face mask or on a poster somewhere. So, I mean, that was, uh, you know, one of those things that, uh, you know, probably should have been uh, addressed, I mean, but uh, again, yeah, that was just uh, a bit of an odd odd way, the way that they uh, decided to handle it. But kind of going back to what you were just saying about, like, the abundance of f, uh, F-bombs f in the show, <laughs> I think now, especially for the newcomers, we, we all know what the F and F1 stands for, and perhaps it's non-formula, but <laughs> anyways, bad jokes aside. I mean, I, I, I think that is one of the cool things, because you know that, uh, not a, uh, not necessarily all the the, uh, the the profanity but how sanitized like the radio clips that we get like during the race right. broadcast are and uh, i know they kind of floated it around last year you know like uh, you know i i can't remember if it was in a fan survey or something like that just uh, you know uh, about the possibility of uh, having full, like, unfettered access to race radio. I'd be like, oh yeah, we'll bring it on. You know, like, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an adult. You know, I, I can handle the bad language. You know, I suppose that there would be a, a reason to cut the radio in certain circumstances. Obviously, like the Grosjean crash, that would be one. But uh, un- under normal circumstances you know uh, w- why not i i'm sure that there's probably listening in uh, to other team radios within the paddock so w- why not you know so <laughs> that that's one of that that would be one of my wish lists uh, for you know for for the future if we could uh, have something like that added into a a race broadcast i think it would be great
0: yeah i completely agree yeah. i think the risk always is uh especially in a world which is maybe more hypersensitive to certain expressions and things there's kind of a, a risk and a concern from the drivers and the teams but i'll tell you if if it was available through the f1 tv pro app yep. i would be switching between drivers the entire race like what's he <laughs> saying what's like that that's really compelling Do yep. you know what i mean but but yeah, you know, I think I think that's really all I got and I could probably go for hours and we could unpack so many different storylines that they address, but just in the spirit of keeping this kind of compact and, and a, a little bit more focused, I think that's the big stuff for me. Um, anything else from your perspective that you wanted to touch on?
1: Well, I mean, we, we could drive down into detail into every single episode, and every single storyline uh, <laughs> like we usually do around here, but I think we've hit a lot of the high points. So I'm going to just put you on the spot right now. Rate this one out of a score from one to 10 low or one, obviously being lowest 10 being highest. What? how would you score season three? I know what my score is.
0: Yeah. So I, th- I think in terms of production quality, that the production quality is, is exceptional. The, the setup Top-notch. of the interviews, yep. the quality of the footage, the, the amount, the, the, the lack of reluctance or the lack of that, the, the I, I would say, they could have been heavily reliant on stock footage from race weekends and they weren't they have cameras everywhere yeah so oftentimes yep. you're seeing the same thing but you're seeing it through these beautiful 4k cinematic lenses that you don't see on the broadcast so in terms of production quality nine out of ten in terms of assembling the package um and kind of blending it all together i'd probably say an eight out of ten and for me that that's High praise, high praise. I, I still think that they can improve next year, and I still think there's some other things that they can do. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go in with too high a score, but I would give them an eight out of ten for sure. What about you?
1: I was going to say like uh, I was going to go for a solid eight and a half out of ten. I mean, for some of the obvious yeah. reasons why uh, you know we we discussed where they could have gone a little bit uh, better. I mean, I think uh, that they've raised the bar on the series, and uh, you know if this is uh, going to be like a, an annual thing for the time uh, coming, I think that they're doing a wonderful job, and I think that uh, that everybody in involved should be be happy about it because, you know, we've seen on this show just with the amount of like uh, messages we get from people say, hey, I found your podcast, you know, I'm new to F1, I saw seasons one and two of uh, Drive to Survive and I was instantly hooked and i mean it's it's doing the the job that it is and it doesn't matter if you're new to f1 or you've been around for a long time i mean it seems to really grab people's attention and i think it's wonderful i mean like you say i mean the the like the 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 film or sorry the you know the footage that they've captured on their own the way that they've packaged everything the stories that they tackled for the most part i think they did a, a wonderful job i'm looking forward to obviously going into the season and looking forward to about this time next year to see uh, season 4 so Anyways, I think we'll wrap it up there. This is sort of like it was a real spontaneous, uh, you know, decision to jump on uh, the mics this evening uh, and uh, and wrap this one up. And we'll be back in a couple of days. We're, we're almost there. Less than th- This time next week, we're going to be sitting down, Mark, we'll be doing our first race recap of the season. It uh, it seems absolutely crazy, but I uh, can't wait to get into it. And until then, of course, we've got the, the regular weekly show come, uh, coming up uh, later this week. If you want to get in touch, easiest ways to do so on Twitter at ScuderiaFL pod and uh, on the email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Catch you guys in a couple days. Have a great week and less than seven days to go. We're almost there, guys. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.